One of the best divisional rounds of the NFL playoffs we've ever seen. All four games being won as time expired or in overtime, including an absolute thriller last night in Kansas City. We're breaking down every game. Plus, what's the future look like for Aaron Rodgers and Tom Brady? Next on the GM Shuffle. Lots of things are better together. Hockey, food, golf. How about a cold one on the patio during a nice spring day? But if you really want to take things to the next level, drink some Labatt Blue Lights with your friends and live life to the power of we. Always enjoy responsibly. Beer, Labatt USA, Buffalo, New York. We live in a world of hyperbole, but this is not hyperbolic. That's one of the greatest weekends of football you will ever see. AD and Mike Lombardi always here with you. Remarkable theater, Mike. We're going to work backwards because the whole world is still talking about the Bills and the Chiefs and two electrifying quarterbacks. You know, you focus on the uh, the agony of defeat if you're a Buffalo Bills fan. I feel for all of Western New York because it was such a helpless feeling seeing that game fall apart. But I want to start here because you were all over it in real time. As you tweeted, I don't get it. All they had to do was have a squib kick or not kick in the end zone, and the Buffalo Bills win that game. As remarkable as it was, as gutsy as Josh Allen was, and Patrick Mahomes leading his team down 13 seconds left and putting them in position to get a field goal and then winning, which felt very anticlimactic in overtime. As you said, when the Bills took that lead, 13 seconds left, they could have put this thing away. How? Well, before we go there, uh, how many people you think stayed to tune in to watch CSA Hawaii after that game? Do you think many of them did? That's another interesting aspect of it. Normally, I go to bed, you know, it's, but the game ended at 10 o'clock Eastern, which as a baseball fan, I wish the World Series ended at 10 o'clock Eastern. And I'm thinking, all right, let's watch the post-game show. And they literally do two minutes. And then James Brown, one of the funniest lines of the year. If you thought that was exciting, even more dramatic, NCIS Hawaii next. The look on our boy <laughs> Boomer Esiason's face, look like he bit into a grapefruit. Unbelievable. A two-minute post-game. But I actually will defend CBS on this. While I agree, I would like a 30-minute post game. You and I both know the numbers for that game are gigantic. And NCS, Hawaii, they're going to get gigantic numbers. So, hey, our post game is going to get 20 million. No, our show is going to get 25 million people. Yeah, because they're just going to they're just going to leave the TV on stunned. People in Western <laughs> New York stunned just watching it. It could have been a blank screen. They're going to watch it. I mean, look, I don't know what to say. Uh, you know, when I do know what to say about this game, to me, uh, this was everything we thought it would be. It was like two boxers that danced around the ring for 13 rounds and, you know, exchanged punches and slowed. And then when that two-minute warning came, they just let it all hang out. And we saw this incredible offense show up. We saw this incredible quarterbacking play show up. And we also saw this incredible lack of awareness in terms of game management. And I think this, I think we don't do this enough. One of the things that I've been harping on for a while is the devaluation of head coaches. And Sean McDermott, I think, has tried to be a head coach, but I think he really failed yesterday. In basketball, AD, when you get to the end of the game situations, the basketball coach always comes out. He's got his clipboard. He huddles around his assistants. He talks to them all. And then he goes into the huddle and tells the team exactly what he wants to do, right? He goes in. There's no coordinator taking over that huddle. In the NFL now, we've just seen this and it's taken over. So to me, if McDermott was really on top of his game, the first thing he does is walk down to the special teams coach. He makes sure Tyreek Hill, if he's back there, we're going to kick the ball away from him. I know they kick the ball out of bounds, but that does it. You can't risk that. You got to take time off the clock. There's 13 seconds. They had three timeouts. That means the most they have is four plays. Okay. The most they have is four. If I kick this ball off and it's squib it and it bounces and they've got to field it and they're going to run around, 
then they're either going to get on the ground really quick and not try to return it, or they're going to try to return it and they're going to eat up clock. Okay. So the, the special teams coach for the Chiefs, Dave Topov, said, hey, if they squib this, let's just get on the ground. We'll stop the clock right away. Okay. All right. Which is smart to do. But they may, but you, but they also may not have done that. So now you've got, say you've got eight seconds left to go in the game. That truly means they have maybe three plays, maybe, and they've got a distance. And so what McDermott should have done is gone over to Leslie Frazier and say, look, I want to jam these receivers at the line of scrimmage. I don't give a shit if we get called for holding. I don't care. Defensive holding, I don't care. I want to jam the shit out of them, and I want to make Mahomes hold the ball. We'll rush three. Let him hold the ball because the longer he holds the ball, that clock tick, 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 tick. And say the game ends up with one second left to go and there's a penalty. Who cares? Who cares? Like, to me... I think it's, and I don't, I'm not an, I'm, I don't know the odds, but the fact to tie that game from their own 25 yard line with 13 seconds left to go has got to be a million and one shot. It's almost got to be that. And you've got to be really screwed up to let that happen. And what makes matters even worse, AD, is McDermott called timeouts twice on that drive <laughs> to make sure he could set his defense. I mean, he called timeout twice. So you can blame Leslie Frazier. You can blame anybody you want. He called timeout twice in this game to make sure he could set his defense. He just let the guys run down the field like it was no big deal. Yeah, today there's going to be a lot of scrutiny for the fact that they kicked that ball in the end zone. But I agree with you. I rewatched it as soon as the game was over and with Stunley took timeouts. And I was like, okay, that's, but I guess it was a safe call. We're at 13 seconds left. Let's make sure we know what we're doing. Why not? You use it or lose it. Um, but the fact that Kelsey was that wide open, like, I mean, that the first one was a 19-yard pass. I'm like, okay, I mean, whatever, happens. But the fact that Kelsey was that wide open, Mike, setting up a less than 50-yard field goal, like, Jay Feely and the Broncos are going, he's got a big leg. Maybe if you get to the 45, he could have 57 yards. Like, it'd be crazy what they're discussing. It wasn't even that close. Like, once Kelsey made that catch, that, to me, was the game. Because I go, once that happened, field goal, ball game. And once the coin flip happened, very anticlimactic. You know Mahomes is going to score and win. I was shocked, not just at the play couple, but the defense on that play. I mean, I thought it was horrible. First of all, let's go back. McDermott calls timeout with 13 seconds before he kicks off. So there had to be a discussion about where they're going to squib it. Okay. Right. Then he comes out and they let Hill. I mean, if you're going to double somebody, double Hill, right? right. If you're going to, I mean, like this guy can change field position. I know a pro football focus has is the most overrated receiver in football. I think they might want to reconsider that. They also have Matt LaFleur <laughs> as the best head coach. They might want to reconsider that too. <laughs> just, just going to throw that out there. But the reality here is, you got to double him, jam him at the line, make sure he, nobody gets deeper than he does, keep pushing him around, pass it, do whatever you got to do with the guy. Don't let this guy catch the ball. He goes for 19 yards. So now the Chiefs call timeout. They got the ball. The Chiefs call timeout at their own 44-yard line, okay? There's eight seconds to go in the game. Buffalo calls timeout after that. They want to reset themselves again. And they let Kelsey just walk down the field like we were playing in the backyard. It's like they're on the Kennedy compound and they're running routes like that, like it was Thanksgiving Day. I mean, <laughs> Jesus Christ, you're just running down the field. Like, come on. Like, I mean, we're not in a Hannah sport. Like, somebody get in front of him. Take him out of the game. Like, it's just coaching malpractice at the highest level. It's a joke. And then a guy kicks a 49-yarder. It's not even a hard field goal for him to kick. Like, and, and that 13 seconds, I don't give a shit what anybody says. McDermott's going to have a, I mean, he's going to wake up and all he's going to see is 13s for the rest of his life. 
I saw Bills fans saying this was worse than wide right. To your point, Mike, this is painful. Yeah, I mean, wide right was just, I mean, it was hard. Okay, we get that. Scott Norwood missed that kick. This is, this is to me, this is a million to one shot. Like, this is no chance they should ever do it. And now, you know, the Chiefs, this is more on Buffalo than it is on the great Kansas City Chiefs. Because you could have put, you could have put any, any receiver over there where Kelsey was lined up. I mean, put, put whoever you want. You know, put Dominic Lombardi at four years old. Let him run down the field for 15 <laughs> yards. He's And then nobody's going to touch him. He's going to catch the goddamn ball. I mean, this isn't about Kelsey superstar, BJ. This is about stupidity. Like, and the poor Buffalo fans are sitting there. I mean, and you just wasted almost a perfect game by your quarterback. You just wasted it. I, I mean, I don't know how you live with this. Let's talk about Josh Allen, because you're right. I couldn't imagine the nightmare that's unfolding when he wakes up this morning. You talk about seeing 13s. That drive, 17 plays... For them to convert on a fourth and 13, Mike, I mean, again, I watched it again. It was third and short, and then they had that penalty, and that made it fourth and long. They kept chipping away. It seemed like every play call was like just quarterback rush, right? Okay, three yards here, two yards here. Like, And that the pressure was relentless. Like Clark's in his face every two seconds, and Allen's somehow buying time in the pocket. Every He was never comfortable on that final drive, constantly moving around the pocket. All right, throw it away here. Three yards here, two yards here. And then all of a sudden, okay, it's third and six, manageable. No, penalty. Fourth and 13, I go, there's no way. The game is over. Valiant effort. For them to get that fourth and 13, when Davis makes an unbelievable move, the defender bites on the fake. He's wide open. That alone, I go, this is a hell of a game. And then Mahomes goes right back to Tyreek Hill, which again, his speed is incredible. 64-yard touchdown. Boom. He finds a team. He's done. But to go to Gabriel Davis, fourth touchdown of the game. Like it's, it's unconscionable to me. If I'm a Bills fan, if I'm a Josh Allen fan, that guy could not have played any better. No, he couldn't have. And you know, when Buffalo got the ball with 8.55 to go in the game, I, I just I just know this. I, nobody's told me this, but I know this. That McDermott told, told Dayball, let's take this clock as far down as we can. Right. Right. They were going slow. They were really, you know, they were taking their time. They were taking three plays to get first downs. I mean, going to, to this point, going to this point, they had not, they only had 14 first downs in the game. I mean, the game was moving slow at this point, right? This is when, as I said earlier, this is when the two boxers decided to just start kicking every, you just start throwing wild punches. And they did an incredible job. The fourth and 13, you know, he beats the coverage and, and the kid makes a great catch. But you knew when he caught that ball, McDermott knew when he caught that pass that the Chiefs were going to come back down. Right. Like there was no way. Everybody, the, 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 the defenses were exhausted at this point. And as great as both quarterbacks played, have you ever seen more open wide receivers in all your life? The defense was gassed. I mean, the Bills were the done. number one defense in football. They were exhausted. You knew in overtime, like I said, it could not have been easier for the Chiefs to well, win Well, the game. overtime, I mean, look, when they, the, the, the coin, fl- Andy Reid lost an overtime game to the Patriots because they got the ball first. I mean, I think the Chiefs would have would have gone for it on every fourth down in overtime. Yeah. I don't give a shit where the ball, and I would have been, been screaming for him to do it. Like, you're not getting the ball back from us. We're scoring and this game's over. This is the only way we're going to win the game. If we have to rely on our defense, we're not going to win. So, I mean, at that point, and then to, to, to Hill, I mean, this Hill guy, I mean, it's, I've, you know what I marvel at Hill is when he catches the ball and he pirouettes like as quick as I've ever seen him. So he squares his shoulders to the line of scrimmage to now go vertical. It's the most remarkable thing I've ever seen. You know, and I've been working on this Hall of Fame book and I'm reading about all these receivers and, and the receiver room in the Hall of Fame. Just let me say this for the record. It's probably, it's, it's like most draft boards when it comes to receivers. There's a zillion of them up there. None of them are really all going to be Hall of Famers, but they get in somehow. I don't know. But this guy, that's what 
a Hall of Fame receiver looks like. Somebody who can change the game in a moment's notice. And forget his off-the-field stuff, because I never could forget that, because that's why he goes in the sixth round. And because he wasn't a secret, it was the problem. But this guy is truly a game changer. And that catch and the way he outrun it. And then, then they don't call a penalty on him for taunting. Yeah, how about that? The finger wag as he's going in the end zone. I'm like, oh, I guess the taunting called. Listen, I get it. My wife at one point goes, what if they call a penalty? I go, you've got to maim a guy to make a call right now. And they, they actually was a, there was a pass interference at one point in the last couple of minutes. But you've got to maim a guy. But technically, by the letter of the law, he's pointing his fingers. He's waltzing in the end zone. I mean, he get and they get the ball with 102 to go. And at their own 25, which should have been more. And and Allen's just sensational. And he just goes back. Meanwhile, there's no pass rush because they're exhausted. Right. You know, and Allen's, you know, they're. I'm telling you, if, I, if Byron Dayball gets a head coaching job, he's interviewing for the second time today in New York. I mean, they should really consider about thinking about putting the single wing in in Buffalo because that's what they're running. I mean, this guy is so unique in terms of, A, how he's improved his accuracy, which I was completely wrong on, and B, how his ability to run and take punishment and really doesn't look like he ever gets hurt. He never looks like he gets winded. His poise was remarkable. The heart, and I'm with you. Like there, there's the ecstasy of victory and the agony of defeat. And yes, the Chiefs are amazing. And yes, Mahomes is awesome. But my big takeaway is that's a heartbreaking loss to the Bills that they shouldn't have been in that position. As you said, it's coaching malpractice. One other thought before we go to Rams and Bucks, because there's a lot of... There's coaching malpractice in that one, too. We can get to that. <laughs> yeah, yeah. How about the overtime rules, Mike? Is it unfair to you? Do you think that, hey, because of a coin flip, they get the ball first, they win? Would you like to see both teams get the ball, or are you okay with it? I'm okay with it. I mean, I don't see... There's nothing to complain about. Why did the Bills lose? You know, why did the Bills lose? The Bills lose because they screwed up the final 13 seconds of the game. I mean, that's why they lost. I mean, right. you could say whatever you want. The other factor why the Bills lost is they didn't take away the best players. They did not take away the best players of the Chiefs. They didn't. At the end of the day, you know, Travis Hill's got, a, he's got 13 targets. He's got 11 receptions. He averages 13-6. Kelsey's got eight for 96. Right. Right? I mean, that's, at the end of the day, that's why they lost. They didn't take away the two best players. At the end of the game, you got to double the two best players all the time. I, I wouldn't even a double Kelsey. I would have put a safe. I would have put Poyer on him, or I would have put you know Micah Hyde on him, and you know just had somebody. I would have doubled Hill for the whole goddamn. I mean, there's no way Hill would have ever not gotten doubled, especially at crunch time. I mean, you got to take him off. Nobody who's going to cover him. Why not take away the best players? That's what drives me crazy. It certainly is. If someone said to you, who stepped up? If it's somebody else, okay, I get it. But that final drive, it was Hill, it was Kelsey. That sets up the Butker field goal. And as you said in overtime, it was a formality. Rams and the Buccaneers. Tom Brady is down 27 to 3. Shame on anybody who thought this thing was over. <laughs> he leads the box in four unanswered scoring drives late in the third through the fourth, including a nine yard touchdown run by Leonard Fournette, under a minute to go. We're tied up at 27. But that's too much time on the clock. Again, game management, questionable defensive play calling. Stafford, it's Cooper Cup. The one guy you can't let you beat you, right? Cooper Cup for 44 yards, and it sets up Matt Gay. Not that there's anything wrong with that. Game-winning field goal as time expires. When asked for the coverage after the game, Bucks head coach Bruce Arians said, quote, some guys just didn't blitz. The Rams had plenty of opportunities to put up a bigger lead. We'll get to their issues in a second, but Mike, how do they come back to win this thing? Cooper Cup, you can't let him get open. So you score, you know, you got a fourth and one. You score. L.A. calls their second timeout, right? They get themselves set up for their defense. Everybody thinks Brady's going to sneak it, including me. And Fournette runs for nine yards touchdown. Now, immediately, what's your first instinct, right? Too much time on the clock. You got to play really good run defense here. You got to play really good defense here. So for me, again, this is because we don't have head coaches in the National Football League. We really don't. <laughs> 
I mean, I know Bruce doesn't call plays, but if you're truly a head coach, this is what you do. You go over to your special teams coach and you basically say, kick the ball in play. Then you walk over to Todd Bowles and the defensive staff and you huddle with Todd Bowles and you basically tell them, here's how we want to play it. Todd, go over the next five or six calls. They only have five plays left in a game. They don't have any timeout. They'll have one timeout. So they have about four plays left to go in the game. Let's go over every call that they could possibly make. Let's make sure we double Cooper Cup and let's make sure that we hold them. Now, the other thing everybody needs to know in this huddle is Gay missed a 47-yarder. So we know that he doesn't have range. So he doesn't have range, so let's make sure we have the line of demarcation where he know we can't make it, and we'll play it from there. Boom. Okay, everybody get on the same page. If we need to use a timeout before we go back out there, we'll do it. We'll set it up. That's what basketball coaches do in that huddle, right? That's what they do. Football coaches, they stand there, and after the game, they say, well, you know, nobody got the communication. Like, I don't understand how that is. We're a billion-dollar industry. How can that happen? You're the head coach. Walk over there, you know, or wheel over there. I know you got an Achilles that's bad, but just wheel over there. Here's what I want. That Cooper Cup gets 64 yards in the last drive of the game is a fireable offense. It's unbelievable. You can't, Their best player gets 64 yards. How can you let that happen? How do, you, how do you justify that? Like, how do you sit there after you have no business being in the game? I mean, the only reason you're in the game is because I mean, I heard Chris say this on the air. Well, it's really good. I'm really happy that, you know, McVay put Cam Akers back in the game because he trusts them. Are you kidding me? I mean, if Bill Parcells was coaching that Rams team, you think you would have seen Cam Akers again? You know, if Belich- it, it, it would, no, why would you put him back in the game? He's already cost you one. We got to put him back in again. We're not playing Little League here, AD. Like, not everybody gets to play right field. Not everybody's going to get a letter. Like, everything's all happy. You know, let's all do this. Let's sing Kumbaya. We'll get in the huddle. Oh, Cam, it's okay. No problem. It's a fucking playoff game. You know, it's win or go home. I'm going to trust your ass after you fumbled once. No. But, you know, that's what we do. To me, this is this is on this game as much as we can criticize McDermott. This game is as much on Bruce Aaron. He can blame Bowles all he wants. But isn't it his job to tell Bowles what he wants? I would agree with that. And the Rams had plenty of opportunities, by the way, to put up a bigger lead. So they were shooting themselves in the foot. They fumbled it four times, including what you alluded to, Cam Akers at the one. That's where Gay later came up short, the 47-yard field goal. It could have gotten ugly for the box, but as far as internal issues, how about this from linebacker Levante David? We had some mishaps here and there, guys bump heads. We had a lot of turmoil going on in our organization. So... Maybe they had their own issues, Mike, as far as the team being on the right page. I think they did. I mean, look, we can talk. I don't know anything about Brady. I love Tom. I'm not defending Tom. Tom was not comfortable in that game. I tweeted out. People are like, he's got Evans. He's got, you know, he's got Gronk. He's got Pete. No, you got to understand something. These veteran quarterbacks, they, they'll, like, I don't think Brady has 1,000% trust in Evans. I think Evans is kind of a big play guy, but somebody reliable. His Julian Edelman was Godwin. He has to have some. He didn't have them. And he, I don't think he did. And the other thing, he didn't trust his protection. I mean, his left tackle decided to play the worst game of his year. Donovan Smith. I mean, it was horrible. I was going to say, no Tristan Wirfs really hurt Brady, of course. But the other guy hurt him just as bad, not having the left tackle. Brady's getting hit like crazy. Right. You know, and if it wasn't for the incompetence of the Rams in the second half, I mean, they go punt. They, they go, here's, here's their second half. What's amazing about this game, AD, is both teams had 15 possessions. 15 possessions. Right, the Rams second half it goes punt, touchdown, fumble, punt, fumble, miss field goal, which is a turnover, punt, fumble, and then they kick the field goal. I mean, they only got in the second half. They only had they only had nine first downs. I mean, that's all they had. And and, and on the nine, they got two of them on the last drive of the game. 
And so, like, seriously, like, they just let this game milk away. Like, like, and it's on to me. It's on McVay. Like, how do you keep putting Cam Akers in the game? I mean, it, it was, I thought it was horrible. I, I mean, the, the Rams should have never had to worry about this game. They should have put the game away a long time ago because Brady was struggling. The whole team was struggling. But I, here's an interesting point. When he kicks that field goal, when Bruce Arians kicks that field goal, he's down 27 to 3. Uh-huh. He kicks a field goal with 302, 31 yard field goal. It's fourth and 11. Everybody was pissed off because he didn't go for it on fourth down. Mm. That field goal, those three points basically allowed him to tie the game. Now, he needed a lot of help. He needed, and he got it from the Rams. He needed a ton of help. But if he turns down that three points, it bites him in the ass later in the game. To your point about chasing points and why it's so critical on fourth downs to get what you can. Clearly, the Bucs defense struggled. You mentioned the fact Brady wasn't comfortable. The Rams will now host the 49ers, the NFC Championship game, the third time they face each other this year. San Francisco has won six straight against the Rams. More on that game in a second, but one thought here on Brady. More than delivered, Mike, in two years. He has said before he wants to play until he's 45 years old. He could do that next year. I think because the way this season ended, he comes back for one final season. But I wouldn't be shocked if he talks over this family and walks away. What do you think? Yeah, I wouldn't be shocked. I mean, look, I think his wife is going to have a big say in this. I think he's a, he truly enjoys is his family. He knows his family has sacrificed for him tremendously. And I think, you know, in the reaction of the box, I mean, you could see them, they're fully engaged. But I, I just, looking at his body language yesterday, he wasn't comfortable. I don't think he felt like he was getting answers. And I think there's some things going on in that building. I think there's no doubt. My question to you is, if Brady quits, does Arians come back? Well, that's thing. They don't have a succession plan there. It's not, it's not like they've got a young quarterback waiting in the wings. <laughs> no, they, 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 need, they need Kendall Kendall Roy. I mean, they need the <laughs> yes. Roy family down there. I mean, they're going to need Kendall Roy to go down there to kind of <laughs> get this succession plan going. Because, like, if, if, if you're Bruce Arians, do you really want to coach Blaine Gabbert next year? No. And build this and, and go it and all of a sudden have to listen to everybody say, well, you only won because of Brady. Yeah. You know, Brady, I mean, I think this has got potential ripple effects all over. Do you want to lose Todd Bowles to a head coaching job? Do you want to do, if if you're Jason Light, do you want to lose Todd Bowles to a head coach? You know this guy's not going to be, Bruce's maybe one, two more years at the most. He's going to go in for Achilles surgery to get his Achilles fixed. I mean, if you're the Bucs, do you do that? Or do you just say, okay, Bruce, Bowles, don't take any job. You stay here. You're the head coach. You're going to run this team. I think those, and it all ties into Brady. I mean, it all ties into Brady because if you're Brady, like, I mean, what are you going to do? I mean, if Brady doesn't want to play, I mean, I think that really spells, you know, a hard, hard, it, it really, to me, becomes really difficult for the Bucks. I mean, is Kyle Trask really going to be the guy you want to build a team around? Listen, to all apologies to Florida Gators fans. I don't think he's the guy moving forward. We'll see. Uh, that question remains to be seen. Break games on Sunday. How about Saturday? Two games that started out ugly and in thrillers. Special teams kills the Packers. Could it be the end for Aaron Rodgers in Green Bay? And for all the weapons we've talked about with Cincinnati, the rookie kicker steps up. More on the GM Shuffle. The NBA playoffs are heating up, and so is the action at DraftKings Sportsbook, an official sports betting partner of the NBA. With same-game parlays, live betting, odds boosts, and so much more, don't miss out as the NBA postseason winds down. I mean, these second-round playoffs have been unreal, and we have the conference finals now on the horizon. Make sure you get all those futures bets in before the value disappears. And if you're new to DraftKings, you got to check this out. New customers bet 5 bucks to get 150 in bonus bets in 
instantly. Download the DraftKings Sportsbook app now and use code SHUFFLE. That's code SHUFFLE for new customers to get 150 in bonus bets when you bet just 5 bucks. only on DraftKings. The crown is yours. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER or in West Virginia, visit www.1800gambler.net. In New York, call 877-8-HOPE-NY or text HOPE-NY-467-369. In Connecticut, help is available. For problem gambling, call 888-789-7777 or visit ccpg.org. Please pay responsibly on behalf of Boot Hill Casino and Resort in Kansas. 21 plus age varies by jurisdiction. Void in Ontario. Bonus bets expire 168 hours after issuance, see dkng.com slash bball for eligibility and deposit restrictions, terms, and responsible gaming resources. Well, there's not much better than playoff football in January at Lambeau Field. Snow on the ground, Niners and Packers. Weather played a factor in this game. Kickoff temperature 14 degrees, a wind chill of zero. That's the fifth coldest game in Lambeau Field history, and neither quarterback could get much going at all. Relatively slow back and forth game. The Niners offense had negative 10 total yards in their first four series. Didn't record a first down until six minutes left in the first half. Both teams combined for nine sacks. And here's what happened in case you missed it. A blocked field goal at the end of the first half would have extended the lead. A blocked punt with less than five minutes left in the game, though, San Francisco ties it at 10. Let's start there, Mike. Special teams play. The Niners had no business winning this game. They can't get anything going offensively. Garoppolo's hurt. He's beat up. But they get a blocked punt, makes it 10-10. How does this happen? A horrible special teams. Big Daddy's losing his mind. Oh, he was sitting right next to me. He was <laughs> sitting right next to me. It was so good. Yesterday, he didn't come over for the games, but I'm getting text. And basically, he was going to refuse because he's, you know, he's so tired of Brady and he's such a Packer fan. You know, if Brady wins this game. I'm not going to watch football for the rest of the year. I'm done, you know. And then he was he was pacing around his house. I mean, he was at my house, and it was just magical to watch this man. Completely negative from start to finish, you know. But what really got me the most is he's complaining about Lafleur, what he calls Lafuck, cheering the crowd to pay attention. There was that shot I saw. He was exhorting the crowd late in the game trying to get them fired up. Yeah, I mean, Big Daddy makes a hell of a point here. Like the people that go to Packer games in that bitter cold, they don't need any help to cheer. (laughs) Like they don't need any encouragement to cheer. Like seriously, they're there because they love their Packers and they're loaded up with bourbon. They're loaded up with whiskey. They're loaded up with beer, whatever they got. They've got Brockworth, whatever they got. They got it all, right? Mm -hmm. Yeah, they got it all. They got everything in their bodies and they are passionate. They don't need some guy to, I mean, all I kept thinking about is like, would Bobby Fisher, when he was in Rankinovic, did a chess match, would he get up and tell the crowd that why, why the other guy's looking at the board? Would he tell them, like, aren't you going to concentrate? Like, Big Daddy was beside himself. And, you know, he's been saying, you know, the special teams is horrible. You got to fire this. He wanted to fire the special team coach after week one. Now, this will be the second year in a row that Matt LaFleur is going to fire a coordinator because of his ill performance in a playoff game. Never fixed it during the season, Right. Right, We kept saying last year how Pettin's defense was horrible. Never mm. fixed that. Now, all the people that want to vote for LaFleur for head coach of the year. Dan Orlovsky we... said coach of the year. He thinks he's coach of the year. Oh, yeah, absolutely. Sure, yeah. Dan. Yeah, head coach is supposed to run the de- offense, the defense, and the special teams. If you're the head coach of the year, don't you fix the special team problem? Yeah, this becomes an interesting issue where you say if the offense or defense is great, you know, the coach gets the credit, but if there's a problem, you blame the coordinator. I'm like, well, hang on a second. It goes both ways. Yeah, he, he's the, he is the H-E-A-D head coach. Like, you got to fix the problem. 
Here's what people don't realize. They, I don't think they said it on the broadcast. We, I was too busy. Big Daddy was dominating the conversation, so I couldn't hear it. <laughs> Do you realize, AD, that they weren't trying to block the punt? They were not trying to block the punt. That was just a rush. He just came in there, and Willis knocked the blocker back so far that he blocked the punt. Like, wow. they were trying to block the field goal. That was true. And the yes. guy did. I mean, day one of, inst, of, of practice and field goal protection is to be able to do that. They couldn't even operate day one. I mean, did LaFleur watch practice? He, here's the thing I think don't think people understand. These West Coast offense guys, which LaFleur's won, they, they could give a shit about special teams. They could give a rat's ass about special. They don't care. All they want is the ball back. They don't care about who's on the team. That's a special team's job. I got nothing to do with it. Meanwhile, these older coaches, the Parcells, the Belichicks, the Joe, all these guys that were good. I mean, Joe Gibbs was awesome in special teams. The Washington football teams were great. All the great coaches paid attention to the kicking game. But analytics said they don't make any difference. Analytics also says you can't draft a kicker early because they don't. The, the difference between good kickers and bad is mar- marginal. I think this weekend proved that to be wrong. Okay, so my point here is, how do you vote for him for coach of the year when he can't even fix the one problem he's got? He can't even fix it. So, I, I mean, they weren't even trying to block it. That's how bad it was. And then on offense, I mean, other than the first drive of the game, Rodgers got a lot of pressure. This is two years in a row in a big game. The Packer offensive line didn't didn't block him. Now Lafleur tried to help him chip. There's no doubt he did earlier in the game. But when they got in the red zone, he didn't. When they got in the red zone, he didn't. I mean, they got a walk in touchdown on the screen, but the back went back at the back at the mesh point was too far and they couldn't complete it. The Packers defense, the Packers offensive line got dominated. Yeah. It's once again, and Rodgers got spooked. The third down play, the third and eleven. I'm watching it, and I'm and he throws it deep to Parker. I'm like, why did he throw that? You got to get the first down there. I know exactly what you're talking about. D'Amico Ryan's had Aaron Rodgers confused, right? That he was really it. did. He really did. By the defensive coordinator. The guy deserves a head coaching job just on that game alone. Yeah. I mean, just on that game alone. The thing I, I said to Big Daddy after the block punt with five minutes to go in the game, I said, Vince, this is perfect because now your offense has to be aggressive. You're nursing a ten to three lead, right? And now all of a sudden it's 10 to 10. You got to win this game. We got to come out and win the game, right? And naturally they go three and out and they punt the ball back. I mean, they get four yards and, he, and, and he's got a punt and then they lose the game. So, and, and the third and 10, he throws it down the field to, to, to Adams. He's got Lassard on an inside cut. He won't throw it, but here's the point. He got hit around. He was confused. And he basically what he did with most quarterbacks, most great quarterbacks like Brady, like Rodgers, they throw the ball to the guy that matters. Like Randall Cobb, even though he loves Randall, Randall Cobb can't play anymore. Exactly. So it's over. And, and I think that's what happened. Yeah, so let's talk about Rodgers, because uh, I'm here for all the entertainment and uh, the schadenfreude, which is taking joy in someone else's misery. Twitter was ablaze of people mocking Rodgers. Clearly, uh, you know, pissed people off the COVID BS and the way he's treated himself. So my friend Robert Flores is tweeting, except for that first drive, Aaron Rodgers avoided the end zone like it was made up of scientific facts. Jimmy Garoppolo is now Aaron Rodgers' least favorite Italian, second to Dr. Fauci. <laughs> <laughs> the fact that I saw Aaron, that. I saw that. <laughs> Aaron Rodgers is now immunized against the end zone. Uh, I'm here for all the jokes, but the bottom line is this. This guy is a great quarterback. We all know that. And he's going to be a four-time MVP. But Mike, you can't go 8-0 at Lambeau Field during the regular season and now fall to 5-4 and four, lifetime at Lambeau. That's crazy. How? And I get it. Your offensive line sucks. The Niners' defense overwhelmed you. I get it. 
but you threw 58 yards in the second half. That's it. You had four first downs. You're Aaron freaking Rodgers. Okay. Tom Brady finds a way. Joe Montana finds a way. John Elway finds a way. Aaron Rodgers has to take some of the blame for this. He did not step up in a critical game. You're facing the San Francisco 49ers. They got a quarterback who's like literally on one hand is his thumb is everything. How does Rodgers not take some blame here? I think he deserves some, but I, I but I think this is a, a, a almost a commentary on the Packer organization. I mean, just think about this: the Packers have had, and this is Big Daddy's biggest thing. We've had Brett Favre, and he underscores we, because he's you know he's part of the franchise as well. We've had Brett Favre and Aaron Rodgers, and we've won two Super Bowls. Meanwhile, the Baltimore Ravens have had Trent, <laughs> Trent Dilfer and Joe Flacco, and they've won two Super Bowls. Like, how is that possible? Right. And, and I mean, it's a fair question. But I think ultimately, I said this at the time, when to me, when when they when McCarthy left and he went and he went out, they fired him. I would have hired Mike Shanahan. And the reason I would have hired Mike Shanahan is because I thought it would have given him, would have given Rodgers a veteran guy, somebody he really respected. And Shanahan understands what it takes to win these playoff games. It would have given him experience and it would have maximized the last years of Rodgers' career and maybe liberated him and maybe made him better. But they chose to go with a young subcontractor model and they went through all this because Murphy wants to get in the Hall of Fame because Murphy wants to be viewed as the greatest Packer of all time. You know, Curly Lambeau, take a seat. You know, please, (laughs) you know, Vince Lombardi, take a bad seat. Don Hudson, you're nobody. I'm Mark Murphy. (laughs) So the reality of it is, is, is this is what you get. And, you know, now Rodgers, look, he didn't play good. I don't think LaFleur played good either. You think LaFleur was coaching good? (laughs) You think he was doing it? You think he had a nice day? More on special teams. Good as gold. Robbie Gold. By the way, Bears fans. My brother's a Bears fan. They're going nuts. Not only do the Packers lose, but it's Robbie Gold, former Bears legend with a kick to knock him out, a 45-yarder on that game-winning field goal. The Packers only had 10 men on the field. (laughs) Isn't that a fireball offense? I mean, is there anything more? I mean, how about this? The people, I mean, like people think he's coach of the year. Like, what is he doing during the game? (laughs) Like, that's the problem what we have is we, there's a generation, and I don't want to sound like some old guy, right? But there's a generation like Dan Osowski, you know, who, who really have never been around great coaches. Like they've never been around great head coaches. Like they've never seen Shula operate. They've never seen Lombardi run a team. They've never seen Bill Walsh run a tire team. Like this, like all this stuff we're talking about in game management, this doesn't happen during the game. It happens on the Wednesday before the game. Right. Like if you're the if you are Bruce Arians and you're setting up a Friday practice, you're saying, okay, they got the ball with 50 seconds left to go. Who's going to get the ball? Cup. Okay, we're going to double. Like, you go over these scenarios before the game. But the way we do it now, we're so preoccupied with looking at that play sheet. We got to look at that play sheet. We got to call the game. You know, this is what we're going to do. And and ultimately, that's what happens. And so that we have devalued it so much that we don't even know what good looks like. We don't, we wouldn't even know what a great head coach looks like. I mean, I, I mean, if you put, if you would have flown Bill Parcells in, Okay, if you would have, he's in Jupiter in his house. If you would have gone down there, his private plane, picked his butt up, flown him into Kansas City, right at 13 seconds, and put him on the field, the Bills win. The Bills win. If you would have flown him to Tampa and put him on the field with 47 seconds, the game's going overtime. If you would have flown him to Tennessee and put him on the field with eight minutes to go in the game, and it's third and one from the Cincinnati Bengals 35, you win the game. I'm just telling you, like how to run a game, how to manage a game. It's a lost art. 
and it becomes even further lost. It's the, it, it be, because you got guys like that don't know really what it is, and they've never seen it done before. They have never seen it done before. Spiking the ball on first and ten at your own nine, Derek Carr. Like, like how is that? Like, how does this happen? Like, literally, you could get Parcells off a couch, fly him in for the th- last third, and he'd win the game. <laughs> Be an amazing image. Here comes Tuna. Like, I'm just telling you. You know, I I I I keep looking at my phone when these stupid things happen in a game and I expect to get a 510 number. Oh, did you see that? <laughs> did you see that fucking idiot? What he just did there? Does he not understand? What the fuck are they doing? Why would he do that? Why? That's what I would get. That's, right. that's, I would get that. And then, oh fuck. And then he'd hang up the phone right. and then, you know, like 20 minutes later, he would have called, like, I, I just go through the, I should probably go through the, we should probably on Thursday go through the entire weekend as Al Davis would have seen it because literally he would have called me. Does this fucking Zach Taylor understand how to protect the quarterback i mean does he have any clue what he's doing here you know it would have been the whole thing let's give a little love to the niners because talk about a gutsy team i mean they just find ways to win and you said they should have debo samuel return some kicks he did that in the second half 45 year return set up san francisco's first field goal said kyle shanahan we thought our special teams had an advantage we thought they had an opportunity to possibly win us this game not just debo samuel but george kittle had a couple of huge plays this niners team like they're awfully resilient i don't think anybody thought they could beat the cowboys on the road and the packers on the road i mean you know when we get ready to do these mock fucking drafts now you know and we got 72 receivers going in the first round can we remind ourselves that defensive lines win championships that that truly the only thing that affects great quarterbacks is defensive pressure. Armstead was sensational. Armstead was absolutely sensational. Their whole defense was sensational. I mean, the speed of their defense was sensational. Warner was great. You know, Greenlaw was covered. I mean, Armstead was just unbelievable. He gets two sacks in the games. You know, he, he's he's all over it. And, you know, and every play, every play, Rodgers felt him in the game. Every play. And so to me, credit the 49. Ryan, they're better this year than they were with Salai last year. So Ryan should get a job. To me, just play play it out. Play the pattern. Ryan is better than the Salai. He deserves a head coaching job. He should get one. And they just did enough on offense. They put together the one drive that they had to do, and they they were going down the field and make make the kick. So, I I mean, they're going to be hard to beat. That defensive front's really good now. I mean, I'm telling you, they're fresh. They're healthy. You know, Bosa had two sacks in the game. You know, I mean, they're just, I just think to me that defensive line and they disguise the coverage really, really well, which for a guy that like Rodgers is hard to do with. Aaron Rodgers is now 0-4 against the 49ers. He's the first quarterback in NFL history to lose four playoff starts to a single opponent. His future's in question. We'll talk about that, I'm sure, a lot this offseason on the GM Shuffle. Bengals and Titans. The Bengals oh. do it. The first upset of the weekend. We know about Joe Burrow. We know about Jamar Chase. Add Evan McPherson. The rookie kicker nails four field goals, including the game winner from 52 yards out. The Titans had plenty of opportunities to win this game. The Titans are so frustrated. They're going, hang on a second. We sacked Burrow record time nine times. Nine times. Okay, we ran the ball. And all of a sudden, you're telling me we could... Uh, sorry, they didn't run the ball actually that well. Derrick Henry did not run the ball very well. 20 carries, 62 yards. But A.J. Brown put up some big numbers, over 100 yards receiving. But on offense, they elected to go for a fourth and one with seven minutes to go. Instead of going for the field goal, Derrick Henry was stopped short. They had the ball late in the fourth, a chance to win it. Showed little sense of clock awareness. 
Tannehill wears the goat horns, one of his three costly interceptions on the drive with 20 seconds left in the game. And it said, A.J. Brown, all day we were just shooting ourselves in the foot. You and I both believe Mike Vrabel should be coach of the year, but questionable coaching by Vrabel and Tannehill, poor decision-making. I think it started, you know, I mean, let's start with the first play of the game. I mean, the first play of the game, you rehearse, you kind of know what they're going to be in. You get into a formation that you think they're going to check into a certain coverage and you throw the ball. I mean, everybody thinks Henry's getting the football, so a hard play action maybe opens up a big play down the field. And of course, Tannehill does a dumb thing and throws it into coverage. But, you know, you you kind of rally around. You play good in the red zone. I mean, the Bengals, you know, had opportunities and they controlled the middle eight, which they did. They scored at the end of the half. They scored to start the half. That was the game. But to me, this really, and I said it in lifetime. I mean, when it was third and one, and and and, and there was and there was about seven, eight minutes to go in the game. I'm saying to myself, get the first down. Just get the first down. Because I, I I thought Tennessee minus four was a really good play. So I'm I'm thinking as, as a Tennessee fan, because I gave that pick out. My man Dominic was three and one with his picks, by the way, this week. I mean, and couldn't wait to rub it in my face either, AD. <laughs> like, couldn't wait to call me on the phone and then rub it in my face that he outpicked me. I mean, it was the it was so good. I mean, you know, his father obviously motivated him to do it. But yeah. anyway, because <laughs> his father was mad at me. But anyway, so... I mean, the third and one, they're in shotgun. And I'm saying to myself, what are we doing? We're the Tennessee Titans. We don't need to be in shotgun. Just hit the goddamn thing up. Quarterback, sneak it. Let's go for another day. Let's get seven points. And then once we get the lead up with seven points, they can't block. They can't block us. Burrow, they couldn't pick up a blitz the whole time. And so, you know, and so they that to me, they that was another turnover. We talk about the three turnovers. Mm-hmm. That's four. That's turnover number four. Right. And what I learned, which I never thought would ever happen, I learned in football, four turnovers is greater than... Nine sacks. Yeah, by that arithmetic, that actually is the case because that Titans defense did everything they could. Special teams often overlooked. We saw the issues, though, with this weekend. Burrow able to throw for almost 350 yards. The Bengals obviously have to protect him moving forward. And for the Titans, Mike, again, the frustration of being a team, you're the number one seed. They're one of those teams that feels like they can't get over the hump, right? Yeah, I mean, look, I like them in the game because I said this. And, and statistics backed it up. They were really good on third down. They were a disaster in this game on third down. They, during the season, they were great on third down. In this game, they were a disaster. They were 12% on third down, one for eight. During the season, they were great defense on third down. They were really good. They gave up 46.7% in this game. During the season, they were really good in the red zone efficiency. They were one for three in the red zone. They were one for two in goal to go. They were, And then they allowed one for two in the red zone on defense. So the areas where they were strong, they weren't strong in this game. And in spite of all of it, in spite of the four turnovers, they had a chance to win the game and couldn't do it. The other thing I wanted to say about this game too, which is remarkable, I can't believe that you can get nine sacks, but you can't get one holding penalty. I, I have a hard time buying that. I haven't watched the tape yet. I'll watch it today. But I have a hard time thinking that these guys can't block anybody and there's not one holding penalty called in the entire game. I just can't. I, I I just don't understand how that how that flows. I mean, they're not blocking them. It wasn't like they could block them. I mean, in this game, they this game there were eight penalties called. Six on six on Cincinnati, two on on Tennessee. Yeah, I think you tweeted Hockley in particular. You were annoyed about right? Are they fishing? Oh, he's the worst. I mean, he thinks people come. I mean, like you know, Brady yelled at me. He cursed at me. I he threw. Brady's got a bloody lip. I mean, of course he he's not going to get protection. And we saw Jerome Boger, you know, give a protection to Derek Carr. Again, I don't understand it. We didn't talk about this on the Tampa game, but that 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 personal foul on 
down there, which I thought was, I thought it was a continuation of the play. For Hockley to say that the, there was a dead ball foul, mm. to me was, I thought it was a horrible call too because Pastor, when you hit the quarterback late, usually the ball's gone and the, the receiver has it, right? And they call that, they don't call that a dead ball foul. Definitely frustrating when you look at the fishing from this past weekend. It was great football. There's no question about it. We can only hope the conference championship games on Sunday will be equally as entertaining. Sunday, 3 o'clock Eastern, Bengals at the Chiefs. Obviously, Kansas City the favorite. And 6.30 Eastern, Niners at the Rams. Both those games will be great fodder for us to talk about this Thursday. One other story, though, before we get to the awards. And that is the Ravens firing a guy you're a big fan of, defensive coordinator Don Martindale. Surprising move. One year left on his contract, said head coach John Harbaugh. We've had a great run on defense. I'm very proud of what has been accomplished, the work he has done. He's done a great job. Now it's time to pursue other opportunities. The move came as a surprise to a lot of people inside the organization. Baltimore ranked number 25 on defense last season, the first time the Ravens finished out of the top 10 in his four seasons as D.C. Your level of surprise? No, no, not really, because I think, you know, Wink had one more year left on a deal. I think he was making significant money, and I'm sure that they probably feel like, you know, they want to get their coaching salary in, in better structure. I think they're going to have a hard time replacing him, just like I think Miami's going to have a hard time replacing Brian Flores. I think it's easy to say get rid of this guy, but who's coming in to replace him? You never finish the sentence. Let's fire the coach, but then who's better than the coach? And I don't think there's very many coaches better than Wink. If I were the Dallas Cowboys and I lost, uh, and I lost Dan Quinn, I would the personnel in Dallas, based on the way Rink runs defense, would be ideally set up for him. He would they would be the number one defense in the league. Maybe not so much in turnovers as they were this year, but they would be incredible with his ability to run the different packages. I mean, this year they had no players. I mean, it's amazing. The Ravens are uh, the most phenomenal team. They get an A in every draft. Go back the last ten years, they get A's in every draft. Their personnel isn't very good, but they get an A in every draft. <laughs> Figure out that grading system. And before we get to the awards, last you can mention, there's talk around the league, Sean Payton could be done in New Orleans. Yeah. People were furious. You got shredded on Twitter for suggesting. Oh, my God. People were irate. They're apoplectic. How dare you say this? Yeah, I had to go out there and just make sure that nothing happened to Bella. I was worried somebody was going to shoot her when I took her out. I mean, like, <laughs> I thought somebody was going to, you know, because that, that is the scene of, of where a lot of happened. You know, I'm so deep into this JFK thing. I, I swear, I'm, I'm convinced I need to, like, rent office space so I could set it all up like a murder like a like a, a detective room because I'm just getting deeper and deeper into this there's this incredible ad there's an incredible uh, YouTube page that I found <laughs> that this guy that's the laugh I mean I'm into a deep I mean I, I'm hook line and sinker it's over it's called Helmer Reberg, Reenberg, and they've got all these videos. They've got interviews of people they go through all the I mean I'm just sitting here killing it so you know when you talk about New Orleans, you know, people coming up to get you, it brings me right back to to, to, to this whole thing. But I Maybe mean, like, people will be very, one Saints fan is going to take it out and you're so upset. Yeah, I'm sure somebody's going to be at Camp and Ran- Camp and Lafayette Street and basically be in the same <laughs> building Bannister was in and come get me. But I mean, like, I get you love your t- team, but I'm just trying to tell you what I hear. I'm not trying to say, I love Sean too. Right. But I'm, I, he's not committed to coming back. He's not sure what he wants to do, which he's entitled to do. And then Ian Rappaport on Sunday morning tweeted, Sean Payton has not committed to returning for 2022. Ian Rappaport, he, he took your story. Let's be honest. Can we just be honest? Well, I think, I, I don't know if he took it, but I think what he did was he's heard the same things I heard. Okay, there now, you go. <laughs> you, you know, like Mayan didn't get any, you know, of course, nobody says, you know, because I mean, I'm not in pro football talks favorite, you know, so he's going to ignore that. You talk, you know, and so right. you don't get that. And, you know, and all, and then, of course, you get blown up. And then, of course, Rappaport get it. I mean, when I saw it on Twitter, I said, yeah, now, here, you want to attack him? Go get him. Leave me alone. I got the Kennedy case to solve. You go get out <laughs> after Rappaport. <laughs> There's other matters to attend to. Now, let's yeah. get to the uh, awards on the lamb. 
It's McDermott, right? Oh, you got to put McDermott on the lamp. I mean, I think there's no doubt you have to. I, th- I think it's it's 13 seconds will live in infamy for him. I mean, he's going to think about that. He's going to wake up in the middle of the night for the rest of his life. <laughs> I mean, he's lucky Al Davis wasn't on that team playing flying home to Buffalo. <laughs> I mean, I could tell you that. What the fuck were you thinking, kid? I, don't, <laughs> I can't have that. I mean, seriously, I, 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 it would be hilarious to bring. I mean, he was the king of game management. He taught me game management. Like, I didn't know this shit. He was explaining it to me. Kick inbound, do all. He did it all. He knew it from start to finish. You know, he knew. And then he also knew how to take players away from the game. If, 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 if he would have saw Cooper Cup go for, for 64 yards on the final drive, it would have drove him insane. And here's a man that didn't really want a true head coach. He wanted someone to run the offense because he wanted to really help run the defense. So he devalued the head coach long before it became devalued. But he also wanted somebody to understand game management, which makes it even more. Like, I get this devaluing the head coach, but you better have somebody who's training the guy to practice for game management. And I think that's the bigger issue. But no, I think poor Sean, I feel bad for him. I feel bad for everybody in Buffalo because they had this thing sitting right there. That that team and that fan base deserves better. That's about as gut-punching a loss you can get. Fred Palermo Award, best game plan of the week. How about D'Amico Ryans, the Niners defensive coordinator? They take down Aaron Rodgers. You give it to him right now. And and, and to me, I think he's done it. He's improved the defense that I thought was skeptical last year and Salai got the head coach job. And the, I'll tell you what, their defensive line coaches, to me, have done a great job. That defensive line's playing at a high, high level. It'll be hard for the Rams to block them. I mean, because the Rams did a great job blocking the Bucks front. Yes. They blocked them pretty good. Mm-hmm. If you don't know, now you know. If you don't know, now you know that game management is at its all-time lowest level in the National Football League. That head coach, the title head coach, should be just slashed. He should be coach in charge. That should be the name of him. He should be coach in charge. He's not really a head coach. He should be coach in charge. And there's very few head, H-E-A-D, coaches who run all three phases of the game. It's coach in charge. A lot of coaching, a lot of head shaking. Mailbag. As always, send us your mailbag questions at gmshuffle at gmail.com or feel free to send us a message on Instagram at the GM Shuffle. This is from Chris in Denver. I've ever seen a business like the NFL that seems to be obsessed with getting people jobs who've never done that actual job before. I'm talking to head coaches and GMs. Why doesn't at least one owner want to hire someone who's a proven success at doing that job? Is it just about saving money and keeping power? Would a restaurant ever hire someone a chef who's never been a chef before? It makes no sense. It makes no sense. I mean, it doesn't, but that's the National Football League. It just wants somebody they can control, somebody who's going to fit into the system because they think their kitchen is going to carry the restaurant. When you know this isn't the Dave Clark Five, <laughs> this is a paramilitary organization that needs a supreme commander. As 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 uh, my man, uh, what the hell was his name? The, Jimmy the Rat. He said that. Oh. On, on, he said that uh, Jimmy the Rat said that when they're all sitting down having lobster, you know. And he said, you know, this this ain't the Dave Clark Five. We need a supreme commander. <laughs> That's, That's what the NFL is too, <laughs> you know. And so I love that clip. <laughs> what a great live, by the way, Dave Clark oh, it's Five. The best. Of all the references in bands, you're gonna pick that. It's so. It's the I, every time I see a lobster, I want to be around there. I want to be around with Larry Boy. Like, I would love to have shared a meal with Larry Boy, oh, Jimmy. Larry Boy Barisi. He, yeah. Larry Boy Barisi said the best. You know, that boy, he don't even pass the salt. Anyway, so <laughs> see it, some of the great lines. But, but like, this is what's happening. We've devalued it so much. And, and in college, there is a little bit more of it. But I think it's got to come back the other way. And I think, to me, the bigger issue is it doesn't happen on Sunday. It happens Monday through Friday. It happens during the week. Here's how we're going to play the game. Here's our strategy in the game. And here's the situations on what we're going to need to do. 
and, and basketball coaches do it all the time, especially in college. But in football, we allow it to be the coordinator. Like that should never happen. That should, that like, like Arian should have had a clipboard as he should have got the defense around him and said, fellas, Todd, here's what I want. I mean, there's a great clip of Belichick walking over to, uh, to Daly and to Brian Flores and saying, look, there's probably 10 or 15 more calls in the game. Go over all of them with the defense. That's what we do. Yeah. That's what Parcells would do. That's how I was, Walsh would do that. He would go over and tell George Seifert, here's what I want. It's just, it's a lost art. Nobody's teaching it. No one's teaching it. Very frustrating. Let's close with the pop culture minute. Uh, in honor of football week, and I took my eldest son, Yusuf, who's 13. He really wanted to go see American Underdog, the Kurt Warner story. I said, this movie looks terrible, but if you want to go see it, sure. And it was exactly what I expected it to be, which is the football stuff was okay, but it's a lot about the love story of Kurt and Brenda. You got Anna Paquin playing Brenda. He's out there in Iowa. He's stocking shells. He gets a chance to read a football. That's not real football. That's just, you know, no referees, no defense. But it's a nice story. I think if you're a non-football fan, if you're just looking for a sweet story, about a guy who believed in himself from the Midwest and that's obviously very well done. What I want to ask you is this though, because Dennis Quaid plays uh, Dick Vermeil in the movie. It's a glorified cameo. He's in it maybe 10 minutes. A few I'm Dick Vermeil. But Mike Martz in the movie comes across as a huge villain. Mike, I don't know how much of this is true. You tell me. Mike Martz was like relentlessly hard on Kurt Warner. Like just treated him like shit because he's like, this is Trent Green's team. You're some punk from the AFL. You know, arena football sucks. And then afterwards, once Trent Green was hurt, and of course Warner gets steps in, amazing story. He's like, the reason I was hard on you because I wanted to make sure you're a champion. Can you be a champion today? Was Mike Mart? What was Mike Mart's like? Because the movie t- comes off, he comes across like a real villain. Well, I, I think he's like a lot of really good offensive coordinators that every detail has to be handled, and their egos have to be involved in the offense. Gotcha. And if you don't do it to fit that, you're going to get killed. Like they can't be. They're not Dave Clark Five. <laughs> they they they're supreme. They got look like when we interviewed Kyle Shanahan. Ray Farmer and I interviewed Kyle Shanahan, and he came in the room and he went and he we put the projector on and he went over his outside zone and he started teaching it to us in Cleveland. It was precise. It was down to the footwork. You could feel his passion. You could understand what he was trying to get across. And he was meticulous in his detail towards perfection. That's how offensive football has to be choreographed to be successful. It can't be tie the loose ends together because you know what happens is the loose ends cost you the game. The details cost you the game. And when you don't handle the details, that becomes the real problem. So, you know, Martz on one hand, I don't know Mike that well. I was with him a little bit at NFL Network, but he's a really smart guy. And look, I wrote about it. I just finished a chapter on coaches. You know, what, what people forget about this Mike Martz hire, Dick Vermeil's two years in St. Louis is a disaster. <laughs> and John Shaw basically tells him he has to hire Mike Martz as his offense coordinator. And that's how they get Trent Green there. And that hire is ultimately why we're, we're having this conversation about Vermeil going in the Hall of Fame, even though he's a 52% winning percentage coach. Yeah, I think the casual fan thinks, oh, what a great story. Dick Vermeil won a Super Bowl. The more advanced fan knows, oh, Mike Martz was a big reason why designed that offense. And of course, the greatest show in the That's right. And all the rest. That's exactly right. Uh, what do you got? Pop Coach Man, more uh, JFK? What do you got for me? Oh, I've been killing this JFK. I mean, <laughs> I've been reading this book. I mean, it's so fascinating. And for and I'm at the point where Oliver Stone was at the point with on, on when he was on Joe Rogan, where he said that anybody that actually believes that Lee Harvey Oswald acted alone is basically, they're the same people that believe in Santa Claus. Because if you just go through this evidence, the amount of evidence, and just in, this is all documented. Like, I'm not making this stuff up about how Oswald was in New Orleans with David Ferry, with Guy Bannister. Like, he's associated with all this Ruby influence all over the place. 
It's just completely fascinating. And I don't think, I really don't think these, uh, these JFK researchers, I think that the media has made them out to be nut jobs. Mm. It's a little bit like when I, when I report something on Sean Payton, like nobody gives me any credibility with it, even though I was in the league for 35 years. It takes Ian Rappaport's credibility for it to become a story. No, it's true. I, I don't mean that as a shot towards Ian. Right. I'm just saying it's just the media controls what becomes the story, right? And these poor, these poor JFK buffs, they get labeled as they're just kooks. Yes. They're just conspiracy theorists they nut jobs, yeah. Meanwhile, they're, they're detailed researchers who are going to the archives and spending time there days upon days and looking at files and going through and having all this stuff. And you go to this YouTube page I just talked about, it's freaking phenomenal. I mean, it blows your mind out. They got the interview with people that saw the two guys, saw the uh, the grassy knoll. I mean, this is all documented. I mean, this isn't people just looking for. I mean, there was no there was no social media. This isn't people looking for some some giant plug to get their Twitter feed up. Like this isn't the case. Like these are people that actually are saying what they saw. So it's fascinating. I, I can't get enough of it. I swear. You, did you ever see the movie, the Stephen King movie they put on Amazon where it was 1960 where they went back and I forget who I know played he wrote, it. Didn't he wrote it was, a book, November second. It was a diner. It was a diner that you would go to this diner, and he would go through this time tunnel, and he ended up going back, and then he tried to prevent the JFK assassination. I forget who was. Juice Franco was he in it? I, I, he was in. It. That's yes. exactly right. Yeah. And there was the other guy that's that was in the other guy that was in it was in the Born Identity. He was in the first Chris somebody. Chris, uh, I forget his name. Chris Cooper. I think it might have been Cooper. 11 anyway, was the series. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. So, but to it me, was Chris he, Cooper. The guy, yes. Chris Cooper, he had this room in the series that that was all dedicated to the assassin. I mean, I I might have to get that room. Like seriously, <laughs> I like I I I might have to because it's just so. It was like when you start going to a whiteboard, you start connecting dots. It's it's it just blows you away. Eleven twenty two sixty three. It's available on Hulu. A limited series, of, supposed to be fantastic. So go check that out. And uh, thank you so much for checking out the GM Shovel. This was some of the best football you'll ever see. We went almost an hour here in the Shovel, but it was worth it. We'll be back next time on Thursday to preview. Let's only hope the conference championship games can be as good as this, and let's hope for no more coaching malpractice. That's right. <laughs>